Revelation chapter 12, verse 1 through 6. Verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed, in, clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth and birth pains and agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great, great dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them into the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, the one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she was placed before by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray this morning, O Lord, as we celebrate your son. God, he is worthy. He is so worthy, God, of our praise. He is so worthy of all the glory. God, this morning we pray that as we listen to this text that we will have a greater appreciation for our Savior Jesus Christ who emptied himself and became a servant and that though we were though he was rich he became poor that we may become rich and Lord God I pray that as we look at this nativity scene we look at it from a eternal perspective reflecting from from you God and not just from what we decorate so, Lord Jesus, I pray that your word, that we will hear your word and that your Holy Spirit will change us in a great appreciation and praise and um, and service to our King Jesus. And, and this we pray in your name. Amen. You can be seated. Our title, our message this morning is the Ap- Apocalyptic Christmas, taken from the book of Revelation chapter 12. If the Charles Dickens character Ebenezer Scrooge is any indication that many people experience Christmas as the unhappy holidays. As one maid said, one said, Christmas, we have no money for gifts. I don't have a job. I feel like Job's twin. I'm tired of hearing happy holidays. You see, Jesus came to earth by bursting into history as God's son. Jesus arrived on the scene in a world of political tension with the Romans and the Jews at our odds over politics and Caesar Augustus at odds with Jerusalem and Judea. But this birth, Jesus' birth, delivered a new kind of reign, one different than the powerful Caesar. Our text this morning comes from the book of Revelation, and I know it does not seem like a place to turn when looking at a sermon on Christmas. In fact, it's probably the last place we would look to find a story and hope of Christmas. However, Revelation chapter 12, 1 through 6, give us insight into the Christmas realities, the history, the struggle, and the power of the child. This verse tells us the significance of the birth of Christ and how it fits into God's eternal plan. The Apostle John, who wrote the book of Revelation, takes us from eternity past to eternity. It reveals for us that the birth of Christ was not just an isolated religious event or just another important moment in the economy of God, but it's a high point. It goes beyond looking at the birth of Christ from our personal viewpoint. At that moment, the Savior, your Savior, my Savior, was born. 
this portion of scripture looks at the birth of Christ from a perspective of divine war. A long war between the two most powerful spiritual persons in the universe, God and Satan. God eternal and Satan who is much inferior. No way they are in any sense equal. See, Satan was a created being. He was the priest leader of, of heaven, the anointed cherub. And he's always under the control of God. So even so, he is God's arch enemy who led both the angelic and the human rebellion against God's will. This is the real Star Wars. And the battlefield is in the heavens where the demons engage with the holy angels. And, and the battlefield is, is our world for men and women who have ever lived on this planet have either been on God's side or on Satan's side. But one thing's for sure, nobody's ever neutral. Or in the middle, nobody's left out. The war started the Garden of Eden when Satan came in the form of a serpent and approached Adam and Eve and, and seduced them into joining his rebellion, into turning against God and joining the enemies of God. And we became enemies of God. And since then, we have this great war right here in our world. Sadly, this war rages today and it will rage on until the end. And the question for us here this morning is this. Who is that that will bring about this great victory? Who is it that will conquer Satan? Conquer all the demons? Conquer the ungodly of the world? Establish the kingdom of God forever and ever? And the answer it is the Messiah. It is the Son of God. It is the Savior. It is Jesus. You know what's so great about reading a book? I don't know about you, but I like to read the book from beginning, chapter 1, introduction, chapter 1, and then the last chapter. Because you want to know what the ending is, right? Right? And, and here we have a wonderful ending because we know the beginning and the end. And the end is Jesus wins. That's the end. And we will see here, but it doesn't mean that we don't have a war in our hands. So first, let me give you the history. Chapter 12, verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. So the first thing that the apostle John saw in his vision is a great sign from the sky. All of his vision are signs and are symbols of, of some great reality. And, and the word great implies both its size and its importance because it unfolds for us God's purpose from eternity to eternity. And now let's look at the woman. John looks up in his vision. He sees a pregnant woman. And the book of Revelation consists of three symbolic women. In Revelation 2, there's a woman who's called Jezebel who represents pagan immorality. In Revelation 17, there's a prostitute, a whore, a, a scarlet woman who represents apostate in a corrupt church. The one that has abandoned its fidelity to God. And, and finally, in Revelation 19, there, we also see another woman who is the bride, the church, the bride of Christ. Here in chapter 12, there is a woman. The Catholic believes that this woman is Mary. Um, uh, she's described as clothed with, with the sun, the moon, and under her feet, on her hair are 12 stars. This is not Mary. Uh, traditional covenant reform theology sees that this is the church, the one who brings forth the child. And this cannot refer to the church because nowhere in the New Testament the church is ever called a woman. 
The church is never the wife, and it was never pregnant. The church never gives birth to anything. It's always viewed as a bride waiting to get married at the marriage supper of the Lamb, which won't occur until Revelation 19. When we all get to heaven, the church is the chosen bride, the betrothed, and we're to be a virgin, pure, and not pregnant. So there's only one real possibility who the woman is. And the woman in chapter 12 is Israel, because Israel is often called the wife of God. According to Isaiah, sometimes it was called a widow or a divorced woman. In Isaiah 47 and Isaiah 50, Israel's picture is a disloyal and faithful adulterous wife who in the end will become faithful. And we know that Jesus came out of Israel who will one day establish this kingdom, meaning that salvation of Israel is near. The promise of the kingdom is near. And, and real soon, Israel will become the focal point again in God's redemptive plan because the Messiah will come and establish the kingdom once again. In Genesis 37, we hear the story of Joseph. And he had a dream. He was a dreamer. And he dreamed another dream and told it to his brother and said, Behold, I have a dream, another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bound down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brother indeed come and to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. And in verse 9, Joseph relates this to his brothers. And we know that Joseph is one of Jake's 12 sons. He told this to his 11 elder brothers that one day the sun and the moon and the sun were bound down to him. This is almost a direct parallel with the exception that you have 12 stars in the book of Revelation. And what Joseph is saying here in his dream that his position in God's messianic promise is to be part of the promised line. And we will see here the promised line, line that goes to Solomon and Matthew and, and, and Luke and, and Jehoiachin and Joseph and Nathan, and it goes to Mary, the mother of Christ. And we also see here in Luke's list gives us a real descent of Jesus, which could only be through Mary. And this is Mary's genealogy, Luke's list, Adam, Abraham, David, Nathan, Solomon, uh, Jacob, Joseph, and Jesus. And, and here's Joseph, one of Jacob's 12 sons, and he is part of the promised line. He, Joseph, signifies a messianic promise. He represents the glory of Israel and the hope of the world. Same with Jesus, who was exalted above his brothers and other, and above others. The sun could refer to Jacob and the moon refers to Rachel. The eleven stars to his brothers, but Joseph sees himself as a chosen one, as the one who represents God's messianic fulfillment and sees it as a position of elevation and exaltation. And this is to say that Jesus is exalted above everyone and, and the promise and purpose of God will be fulfilled. Here we see the covenant woman as Israel who will be exalted and elevated above all the others as Joseph was. And in verse 2, she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and, and the agony of giving birth. Um, as men, we don't know what this means. All right. Um, and some men said, I understand. Uh, no, you don't understand. <laughs> no one understands. Um, when my wife was screaming in pain, I did not understand why she was so mad at me. Uh, 
And, and, and yet, we see here in verse 2, she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and, and the agony of giving birth. So the second verse describes in more detail about this woman that she was with child. John is seeing this huge pregnant woman in the sky, essentially, and with a shining face and crowns. So this identification for John is clear because he is a Jew and because he surely knew the text of Genesis 37 and in Isaiah 26, 54, and 66. And, 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 and with it, he also knew Hosea, Micah, Jeremiah, and we will find that Israel is depicted as a woman in, tra- in, in travesty, as, as a woman in birth pains, a woman trying to bring forth a child. This is Israel, and she is in some serious pain, and just sees her crying. She is literally screaming in pain, and, and pain is so bad. And this woman is not in pre-labor. She's in pain to give birth. She's in labor. This is a woman is having contraction, desperately trying to bring this baby to the world. This is Israel. History tells us that for centuries after centuries, Israel suffered terrible pains while trying to realize that there's hope in the promised Messiah called Jesus. All the promise of God way back in Genesis 3.15 when he talked about, I will put enemy between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Moses talks about a seed of a woman who shall crush Satan at the crucifixion and his resurrection. And all the promises of God made to Abraham in Genesis 12 about the one who will come, the one who will bless not only the nation of Israel, but will bless all the nations. And all these promises were given to Jacob, then repeated to Joseph, and then repeated to the people of Israel. And all the promises of God, centuries upon centuries, 4,000 years uh, have passed, to be exact, since the promise of the seed that he was to be born of a Jewish woman, Mary. But it's also symbolized that his second coming will originate with his chosen people, Israel. So for 4,000 of a long labor, this is Israel's suffering. But it will also give us the birth of the Messiah. In other words, Jesus could not return until Israel receives him. And through the tribulation period, an overwhelming number of Jews will be saved. And only after that occurs that Jesus will appear to the rest of the world. And so the question is, so when will it come to pass? When will the Messiah come and his promised kingdom? When will the persecution stop? When will the suffering be over? And we're still waiting. Here in verse 1 and 2 unfolds for us the true drama of Christmas, the story of a virgin, a child to be born, and the pain of labor. So in two simple sentences, John on the Greek Isle of Patmos revealed to us the true history of Christmas from an eternal perspective, and that's what he sees in this woman. So when we see Christmas, we don't see, we see decorations, we see Christmas trees, we see lights, we see everything else, but we don't see pain, we don't see birth pains. And we don't see the struggle. And yet we see the struggle in verse 3. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold a great red dragon with seven heads and, and ten horns. And on his heads seven diadems. John here in verse 3 and 4 introduces us to the second character in the scene. A great fiery red dragon having seven heads and then horns and seven crowns on its head. And John in verse 9 tells us explicitly that this is Satan, the devil. So we don't have to wonder who the dragon is. It's Lucifer, the great red dragon. Again, we see the word great. 
The woman is huge. The dragon is huge. This is like being stuck in Jurassic Park with, with massive, destructive, deadly monsters. The Hebrew language, Leviathan or Behemoth, the monster. Satan is no small snake. He appears in the form of great Spinosaurus, the deadliest dinosaur that ever lived, who is not only deadly but destructive and fierce. What an interesting scene, right? This pregnant woman in the midst of giving birth, screaming out right there is this deadly, destructive, and massive dragon, and it's red, which speaks of blood and fire waiting to devour the child. The Bible tells us Satan is a very powerful dragon because in verse 3 it tells us that he has seven heads and ten horns and on his head seven crowns. And in Revelation 17, the seven heads are, are a sequence of world empires like Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and the Roman Empire. And then we're waiting for this revived Roman Empire. And history tells us there were only been four. There will be another one and it will be killed and restored. Then the final one. All this means that Satan, the dragon who really has controlled the world. He's the God of the world, the prince of the power, the air, the ruler of history, the ruler of this fallen world. But let me tell you that Satan is under the subject of God, of the sovereign purpose of God. And God only allows him to rule this evil system. And God wins. Always. The ten horns represents what the prophet Daniel wrote about in chapter 7. That in the future there will be ten nation confederacy in the world. They will be ruled by the Antichrist. So this Satan figure is seen as the world ruler of all human history. Not only the, of the past. Here is this poor pregnant woman in extreme agony and pain. And against her is this fierce red dragon. So the drama of Revelation, its powerful image of the red dragon, indicates what Peter warned us of in 1 Peter 5, 8. The devil is on the prowl. He's been on a prowl since Genesis 3. And he's a roaring lion, seeking he, seeking whom he may devour. The devil aims to destroy. Tension swirls in our world. The result is anger and bitterness and broken relationship and shattered hopes. So our struggle is against sin, the flesh, and the devil. And that is exactly why God gave us His Son in Isaiah 9.6. Jesus will stroll the brokenhearted, the battered, comfort the battered, lift up the fallen, remove anger and place it with joy, to turn the unhappy holidays into a happy holy days of Christmas. Christmas has come to us as our wonderful counselor, as our mighty God, as our everlasting Father, and our Prince of Peace. But you have to believe in Jesus in order to turn this unhappy holidays for many into a happy holy days of Christmas. And in verse 4, tells us of the dragon. His tail is swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth. So when she bore her child, he might devour it. John here in verse 4 shows us Satan's control over the third of the angels who joined him in his rebellion against God in mutiny and helps him to carry out his schemes. And together there's millions of angels of demons who aid and assist him in his plot. Again in verse 4, so here is this poor agonizing woman and by virtue of being in labor, pain and agony, defenseless and certainly before a great red dragon a formidable beast who is aided and assisted by millions of demons. This is the picture. 
John then tells us Satan's purpose is to devour the child. In his craziness, the dragon certainly thinks he's capable of devouring the promised seed of God. How many of you guys have seen a nativity scene, right? It's all pretty and nice, right? right? I went to Rowena and Sam's house this week, and I saw their beautiful nativity scene. And I was so tempted because I was studying about this passage, put a red dragon in there. And, and, and the, reason by, the reason behind it is because the true nativity scene is true. What we see, Mary, Joseph, and the, and the sheep and the shepherds, but what we don't see is the red dragon. Well, we see this red dragon and demons all over this nativity scene. So next time you see one, I want you to picture the nativity scene this way. Because there's been a war ever since. And Satan wants to devour this child. So this Satan, this red dragon, is waiting for Mary to give birth so he could kill the son. But God had bigger plans. He had bigger plans for you. He had bigger plans for me. And he had bigger plans for this world is to save it through this child. So how many guys have changed uh, the scenery of a nativity scene? It has changed for me. It should change for us. Satan has always done everything he could possibly to destroy the nation of Israel. This anti-Semitism thing has been going on forever. But in all of his attempts, we see God's amazing evidence of God's sovereign power over Satan and the world. He's never even able to destroy the woman. and He's never able to destroy this child. Do you remember in Exodus 1, when Pharaoh said to the, to the midwives that those Jewish women have to have a boy? Do what? Kill them. I don't want any leaders or any rulers or any threats coming out of the group of Jewish people. And the poor midwives were so sympathetic, so they came back and said, we can't do it because the Jewish women have babies so fast. And they have them before we get there, and they're already out and alive and are multiplying. It's a story of our, of our daughter, our second, our second child, Chloe. And so we were sent, we were in the hospital at Kaiser, and, and we were going there once and twice and three times. I said, we just got to wait at home. They sent us home. They keep on sending us home. And finally, Louis said, it's really time to go now. And I said, no, it's not time. And finally, she said, it's time. So we went, and Chloe was definitely shipped and dropped. <laughs> all right? And, and I think Tim was there to witness all this horror. <laughs> and I don't want to tell you that Satan wanted to get the Pharaoh to kill all those baby boys, but it didn't happen. So the nation was preserved. In Genesis 12, Satan tried to prevent Abraham from even getting started by having a child. And sadly mystified Abraham by getting him to do a stupid thing that he should take a handmaid like Hagar and have a son named Ishmael. Who's been a thorn in the flesh of the Israelites even to this day. They're the Arabs. Uh, Satan even tried to destroy Jacob and kill the line of Judah altogether. He tried to get King Saul to murder God's chosen King David, who was the royal seed from whom, whom what? Jesus, Jesus the Messiah would come and will end the messianic hope for all of us. He even tried to keep Israel captive in Babylon after take, taking ten northern tribes in Assyria from which they never returned. And there was Haman, who was really one who tried the first genocide of the Jews. Um... But his evil plot was hindered by God's sovereignty using a Jewish girl, 
a pretty Jewish girl named Esther who married a pagan king. She intervened along with her Mordecai and Haman was executed and nation Israel again was preserved. And I love this verse. Esther for such a time as this and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this is to preserve the line. The second Chronicles 21 20 tells us where the Messianic line got down to one child, one child. And, and the murderous Ataleah tried to destroy that one child and that one child, Joash, that would have destroyed the whole line. And Matthew 2 tells us what Satan tried to do when the baby Jesus was born and got hired to make a law to massacre all male children since he didn't know which one was the Messiah and never to kill the line. And when Jesus first went to his own hometown, Nazareth, Satan moved to the mob of the people that were in the synagogue that they tried to throw him off the cliff. In the wilderness, Satan tried to, to tempt Jesus so that he could turn him against God like he had turned Adam and Eve and change the whole redemptive purpose. Satan has always tried to destroy the woman and the child. A thousand years ago, the Jews were banished by the English. In France and Germany, the Jews were blamed for the Black Plague and tortured in the year of Columbus discovered America, Spain drove all out all the Jews. The Crusaders massacred Jews and later on the Roman Catholic Inquisition slaughtered the Jews in the name of Jesus. In 1881 began the horrible Russian massacre against the Jews. And by 1894, the Dreyfus Affair in which the Jews were blamed for all the national problems. And then came Hitler and then Stalin and now it's the Arabs. This is the suffering. The Jews had to go through. Satan is just relentless to destroy the woman. But he will never succeed because Israel is his chosen people. Israel is metaphorically, it's like the burning bush. It burns but never gets consumed. All of this is just one long story of Satan trying to destroy the work of God. And he even took him to the cross. But three days later, he rose from the grave. And now, seating at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and I, prepping to come again and take us all home. Amen? He wins. And let me share you the power. Look at verse 5. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Finally, John tells us that the woman gave birth to a male child. This is the incarnation. The birth of Jesus, of course, is a reference to Jesus' advent as a baby in Bethlehem. Paul in Philippians 2.6 describes this way. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And this is what I don't get, verse 7. But emptied himself. I don't understand this. And the reason why is I love comfort. I'm addicted to comfort, aren't you? Right? And yet, this baby, this Jesus, left the comfort of his own home. Left the comfort of being worshipped by all the angels and the angelic hosts and the glory of this universe that he created. And emptied himself for sinners like you and I. And I ask this question, why would a God do that? Why would a God empty himself for me, a wretched, awful sinner like me? Simply because he loves me and he loves you. 
And he had to take a form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And this is what Jesus gave up for you and I. The second person of the Trinity took on human flesh, became a servant, your servant. And he didn't let his deity stop him from expressing to us his humanity. John then said that Jesus is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Of course, it's future tense, which speaks of his coronation in, in, in verses 9, 10, 11 of Philippians 2, which we read earlier. Satan couldn't stop his birth of Christ, and they cannot stop his kingdom. Jesus will rule, and he will do it with a rod of iron. Jesus is going to come back and establish his earthly kingdom forever. And in that day, there won't be any supreme courts. There won't be seven judges that can't agree. There'll be one, there'll be one judge, one court, one perfect, righteous, and omniscient judge. His name is Jesus. And the rod of iron indicates a swift and crushing judgment as he crushed the serpent's head and the demons and all unbelievers. John in Revelation 19 tells us his return. And in chapter 20, it describes his coming kingdom. And the first thing Jesus does is to take Satan along with his stormtroopers. I just watched Star Wars. And, and the demons, they're the stormtroopers in my head, is to put them in chains and put them away for a thousand years. But the end of the thousand years, Satan and his stormtroopers will be released for a to- final time to deceive people and be thrown down the eternal lake of fire, away from the presence of, of the Lord forever. Now let me ask you, where would you spend eternity? Like I said earlier, no one could be neutral. It's either you are in God's side, or you are in Satan's side. Either you are a child of God, or you are a child of the devil. Either you will spend eternity in hell in the lake of fire with your father, the devil, or your heavenly father in heaven. But you have to believe in his only begotten son, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the father except through him. I don't understand. God said, if you believe in my son, you win. But yet many elects to what? Lose. Why? Because the world don't want a king. But they don't have a choice. One day, every knee would bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right? He will be king regardless. You can't make him king. He's already king. And since he's already your king, one day you will bow down, and all in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow down to him. Because we win. Do you understand? Because you win, don't live like you're losing. Live like you're winning. Because you are on the winning side if you believe in Christ. But if you don't believe in Christ, not that you will lose, you already lost. And the Bible said you're already condemned if you don't believe. In Revelation 12, 6, as we end, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 2,060 days. 
John tells us that her child was caught up to God and his throne, meaning that between Christ's incarnation and coronation came his exaltation. When his father takes him back and give him the name which is above every name and put him in his rightful throne at his ascension. If you don't know where Jesus is today, he's in the right hand of God, the Father. And if you don't know what he's doing, it tells us here in Hebrews 1.3. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. And here, and those of you who question whether he's God or he's man, I'm going to tell you what the Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says. He's the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for his sins at Calvary, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high to what? Intercede for you. In Acts 2, 24, Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost preached that God raised Christ up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him, Christ, to be held in its power. And you know what I love about this verse? That if you're a believer... You will forever live. Amen? There is no death. And since it was impossible for him, Christ, to be held in his power, it's impossible for you as well to be held by the power of death. (sighs) Amazing, isn't it? And even though Satan knows his end, he will not give up. He's a roaring lion. And scriptures tells us that during the tribulation period, his Satan will increase his effort to destroy the Jewish people so that the nation cannot be saved as the Bible promises to the prophet Zechariah in 12.10. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of you a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, who they have pierced, Jesus they shall mourn for him as one mourns for their only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. But in 13.1, but on that day there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and then cleanses. Jesus will protect his chosen people, forgive their sins, cleanse them. Right now, um, the Jews are in this state, in what Paul says in Romans eleven twenty five, uh, lest you be wise in your own sight. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. And here's what's happening to the Jewish people today. There's a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentile has come. See, without this fullness, and who are the, this fullness? The church, right? But one day, God will take away this partial hardening in verse 26, in this way, all Israel will be what? Saved. As is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He'll banish ungodly from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So, as always, Israel will be Satan's prime target. His goal is there will be none left in enter the millennial kingdom by killing all the believing Jews. But in Matthew 24, 15 to 21, tells us that God will frustrate Satan's plan and preserve his chosen people. Where he says, the day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that caused desecration standing in the holy place. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out of the deck of the roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even 
to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for a nursing mother in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For there will be greater anguish than any time since the world began and will never be so great again. Again, this is future. And John tells us the length of their hiding and their nourishment will be 1,262 days equals to three and a half years, which is the last half of the tribulation period. So in spite of Satan's effort, Romans 11.26 says that all Israel will be saved. The writer of the book of Hebrews 12.3 says that this, in all of these terrible things that happens in our world, the one thing's for sure, we need to look at Jesus. And you know why? Because he's the author and he's the finisher. And I want you to say this with me, my faith. Just say my faith. Who is in charge of your faith? Jesus. Because he's the author of it and he's the finisher of it. And you know what's so great about this? I want to tell you. When Philippians 1, 6 was written, God said this. Whatever I start, meaning a true conversion, I will surely complete. And you know what that means? What God has started with you, the change in your heart, the, the testimony that we have heard today, one day you'll be forever changed and you will be in his likeness. And that you will wake up one day, you will have no energy and you will have no power to sin anymore. None. And then we will reign with our king forever and ever. And we will see him just as he is. That's why we look at Christ this Christmas. We always look at Christ. Revelation ends as it begins, revealing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. The book of Revelation was written to instruct us to keep our eyes on Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who will soon to come. The book of Revelation pulls back the curtain and unveils for us the drama of Christmas. And Christ has come to secure our future with salvation, strength for today, and hope for tomorrow. And the power of Christmas is in Christ. And He lives in you. So as He as and so I think of Christmas, the lights, the decorated trees, the ceramic manger scenes on mantles. Mary and Joseph struggling into Bethlehem on that starlight night. I think of Christmas, the stable stall, and the pain and the pangs of labor, and the sound of a baby wailing in the night. I think of Christmas, of an angry Herod, and a moaning mother, and a sweating Joseph, then the gentle coo of a child. I think of Christmas, the birth of a child and the red dragon. Michael and his holy angels at war and Jesus defeating evil. It does not have a, to be unhappy or unholy when we look at Jesus, when we look at him now. So let me conclude with these words. The same ones you'll find at the end of the Bible in Revelation 22 verse 21. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Merry Christmas. Christ has come. Rejoice again. Again, I say rejoice. I didn't want to 
be the bad news of your nativity scene. But you can't look at another scene the same way. Because there was something else going on outside of our, what we see. But you know what comes out of it is this. You win, I win, because Jesus won. Right? And one day, he will take us home with, a, with him. And we celebrate the true Christmas when we see him face to face. We will see the joy of heaven. Will you pray with me? Father, we sometimes don't see what went all into this thing. But what we do see now is that a child was born in that day. And his name is Emmanuel. God with us. And he's always with us. That's why we can celebrate Christmas not only this month, but every day that we live because our Emmanuel lives in us. And Father, I pray this morning, God, as we look at the book of Revelation chapter 12, we look at it in a different light. That it, it was happy, it was unhappy, and, and it's really happy because that child was born and that child died and that child resurrected and that child ascended and that child will one day come and will be exalted by heaven and earth. And he is our king. And we are his children. And that God will rejoice. And this we pray in your name. Amen.